0: Good afternoon, Seven Investors, and welcome to the Friday edition of Seven Investing Now. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks-Klein, and I'm being joined today by Matt Cochran and Simon Erickson. So, Simon, you saw me share. I will, first, let me give a programming note at the top. We were going to talk AMD versus Intel today. Uh, we're going to push that to Monday because we've got so much going on with Facebook and Amazon earnings. We're also happy to take your earnings questions in general. We will get to as many of them possible as we can, but that being said, I shared on Twitter today my a story about my $20 cup of coffee. And Simon, given that you're my boss, you're the person who signs my paychecks, uh, I kind of wanted to explain what that meant, because I don't It's going to you, good
1: use, Dan. If it's going to coffee and caffeine, I'm all for it.
0: I don't want you to think I'm being wasteful. So here's the situation. I am at uh, our vacation place, uh, because we were moving some things around and I was having a television installed today. That TV install was at 10, And I did an appearance on the Broadcast Retirement Network, our, our friends, this morning at nine. So I did not have time to go get coffee. So I went on Uber Eats, and I realized if I bought one coffee, it would cost me like $14 with the delivery fee. So I bought two. I bought a packaged coffee so I could have one tomorrow. Sometimes you just have to do but this shows you the kind of racket these services are. Now, I understand it's not efficient for Uber Eats to deliver me two coffees. That is that is not a great business for them, uh, but in a pinch, it absolutely did work. That might be the farthest length I've ever gone for a cup of coffee. I will put out, a have a coffee maker, but I want and a nice is, coffee.
2: Is that the bull thesis for Uber Eats or the bear thesis? I can't decide that it's, somebody's it's, willing to spend $20 for a cup of coffee. It's the bear
0: thesis, because that has to be an outlier. Like I've done that before. I did that when we we did a show from Key West, and it was like 110 degrees, and I didn't want to walk a quarter mile to get a cup of coffee in that heat. But that's something I do two or three times a year. When I'm ordering for dinner, I'm pretty conscious of the delivery fees, and I'm looking. Okay, this restaurant's waiving the fee. Uh, we're gonna we're not gonna talk Uber uh, Uber Eats. We're not gonna talk DoorDash. We'll do that on a future show. It's what I'm very interested in. But I want to get to our top story here, and that is Facebook earnings. So I will point out that both Facebook and Amazon followed a similar pattern online. What was that pattern? That is report really good numbers and warn that future growth might slow after a period of tremendous growth and then see your stock go down. We're gonna to get to that in a little bit, but Matt, why don't you hit some of the top line numbers here because they were absolutely incredible.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, its revenue grew by 56% year over year. That's accelerating, um, that's the fastest growth Facebook has seen since 2016. Um, It's income, it's net income, it's earnings. It rose even faster than that. Uh, The company was said this mostly came from a a 47% rise in the average price per ad, but also along came with a a 6% increase of the number of ads it delivered. Um, Of course, Oculus was up, uh, the virtual reality headsets that Facebook makes. That was up to almost $500 million. That's up 36%. Um, a little bit less than estimates, but I mean, just incredible growth across the board here.
0: So Matt, and, and we'll bring Simon in on this in a little bit. The big issue, and at least the big media story, and you know, I don't like how media covers earnings because they cover it as if they matter in the the immediate. But here's what happened. They warned that growth was sl- would slow. Is that something investors should be worrying about? I just want to get this out there at the top.
2: Well yeah, so you saw 47% growth, right? And that's coming from like COVID lows last year. And so somebody point uh, like somebody was asking on Twitter like, well, wh- I thought Facebook engagement and all that stuff went up last year. It did, but their revenue was down a little bit. Um so you're you're seeing these like huge numbers come off uh come off COVID lows from last year and we're also going to go through the same thing with a lot of other companies this quarter. We're going to talk about Amazon later. Same you know, very similar thing here. But like so Facebook is coming off uh, COVID COVID lows from last year, so you saw really explosive growth, forty seven percent. And are you going to see that going forward? No, no, you're not. But like, is that something to really worry about? No. Um, uh, You know, a lot of times people talk about like, is the user growth slowing down or or things like this, Dan? And, and, And like, one of the things too is they're like, well, I hardly ever use Facebook anymore. And and Sam, we have a graph for that. But like, this is from Facebook's like earnings report, and that's from. Amazon, but we're talking about Facebook. But there is a graph that shows like Facebook uh <laughs> shows their like geography from <laughs> from revenue. There it is, and we got it. And look, less than half of Facebook revenue now comes from the US and Canada. And this is something like I think a lot of US investors miss because they're always just so concerned about like the people they know, uh, like they're on Facebook less, and maybe not on Instagram less, but you know, the, the, the flagship, the Facebook platform, they're just on it less. But less than half the revenue now comes from the U.S. and Canada. It's an, This is an international story, and I think a lot of American investors miss that.
0: Yeah. So, Simon, let me make a little bit of an analogy here. This is a little bit – I use basketball analogies a lot. I'm not sure why. But if, like, Trey Young puts up 48 points or Giannis puts up uh, 50 points in a game, nobody says, hey, their team isn't going to win tomorrow because they probably won't put up 50 points again. And that's kind of what's happening here. Facebook is putting up these unbelievable numbers – and the issue isn't that they're, if, if they can keep growing when they've grown by double digits, that's impressive. But let's dial in on ad revenue here. Uh, there are some headwinds, there are some tailwinds, uh, there's some issues with Apple. Uh, where do you think this is going, Matt? And, and I'll point out, Facebook has an unbelievable presence as the local advertising venue of choice. They are more important than the yellow pages was. Simon, you might not be old enough to remember the yellow pages. But if you had a store, you used to have to be in the yellow pages. Dan, are you, are, Dan, are you kidding? Not old enough to remember the yellow pages? <laughs> you, you, I must <laughs> be a lot older than you think that I am. Simon, <laughs> so, I actually have no idea how old you are. We grew I up mean, with it, the it, yellow pages. It's a I'm, I'm Facebook, totally this is it's the a new, new yellow page. Yeah. Like if you're a local business and you don't have Facebook ads, if you don't have a presence on Facebook, you kind of don't exist. And, and I think that is a great buffer. But Matt, where do you see this going?
2: Well, yeah. So like you said, I, I think you pointed it out well. I mean, they're facing some some incredible headwinds and they're facing some, uh, you know, they're benefiting from some incredible tailwinds. So like the tailwind size, I mean, you're just seeing the digital ad economy boom. We've seen that in earnings like all throughout this week. Snapchat turned in great earnings. Uh, t- Twitter had a had a great quarterly results. You know, the digital ad economy is booming. Uh, you, you see that with Roku and the Trade Desk. I mean, people are, are shifting their advertising dollars, dollars, to the digital economy, and Facebook's going to be a huge, huge beneficiary of that. Now, on the other side, right, you have things like Apple, like making changes to their, you know, when they have released iOS updates that are like, uh, like different privacy rules and things like that. That's hurting Facebook. And when they were asked about that, they were, they were, you know, typically their very dodgy selves, like just being very cautious and guidance, um, which is like par for the course for them. Uh, you know, they said we are they're still going to see the effects of that going into. But yeah, you you have things on both sides of the coin here, like some of it benefiting Facebook and some of it, uh, you know, definitely a, a headwind for them.
0: We would love your questions and comments. We see a few in the queue. We appreciate that. Uh, Matt, is this one of those situations where overall the winners are just going to win more? We're just, and Simon, I want your opinion on this too, because I know you follow some of the ad technology companies, but let's start with Matt here. Is this just a case where Facebook is going to take away from the the smaller players of the world, uh, where it's going to be a, a Facebook, Amazon, you know, Roku, the really biggest players uh, in these spaces. And then everyone else is going to suffer a little bit. That's certainly how TV and radio went uh, over time.
2: Well, you haven't seen that so far. I mean, like Snapchat had, you know, like I just said, Snapchat and Twitter had great earnings this month. And, you know, like, I mean, if you're looking just at about advertising players or social media players, I mean, you know google alphabets right there too i mean you just have all these companies that are benefiting from this shift and of course you have a lot of uh, companies like that are like being hurt by this shift radio stations uh you know tv stations linear tv you know like things like that they're being killed but i think those are the real losers and there's going to be plenty of digital winners it's
0: worth noting ad dollars are not down on cable it's actually been a very strong bounce back from the worst of the pandemic. You don't know that for every station, but you can extrapolate that from some of like the Disney reporting and some of the places that make those numbers. Simon, you follow some of this technology. Something like the Trade Desk democratizes advertising. And I know we're going off a little bit, but this is so a core, a part of the Facebook business. Do you think they can just keep gobbling up more and more and maybe squeeze out some of the little guys?
1: I I do think that, I mean, when you look at globally what's going on, digital advertising is definitely superior ROI versus billboards. There's no question about that. And there's really only been a handful of companies out there that have billions of users, Facebook being one of them, that can really capitalize on this more than any other companies out there. The criticism of Facebook that has always been there has been, do we want to play by Facebook's rules? If we are advertising, do we want to be within this walled garden? Sometimes the data is not so clear cut and a little more subjective. You can't see conversions as clearly sometimes as you would like to. And there's an entire industry right now being called ad tech, advertising technology, which is trying to break those walled gardens like what what Facebook has. I'm not going to go so far as to say that this is going to destroy Facebook. I think Facebook's going to do just fine. And everything that Matt said is significant um, and signifies that. But I do think that it's going to be really interesting. I I, I think that Facebook is just fine for the next five years. I'm really going to be interested to see if this if this diversion from the walled gardens accelerates over the next decade.
0: It'll be interesting to watch. We're going to close this out later on with the future of Facebook, because Mark Zuckerberg has a very different vision for where Facebook is going. And then we're going to take your questions and comments. I see them piling in. We'll do them between the segments here. uh, So we really appreciate people weighing in. Uh, I'm going to stick with Simon here. Matt, we'll get back to you in a second, uh, because I want to talk about the sort of elephant in the room when it comes to Facebook, uh, and that is regulatory concerns. Do you think that's going to be an issue? Do you think we're going to have the federal government come in and say, uh, "Hey, you have to, uh, you know, you have to sell Instagram or something like that?" Simon's shaking his head. So I'm guessing the answer is, of course, yes. Big regulation. No, probably not I, true. So. I,
1: I don't think so. I, I thought that, to be honest. You know, this is something that, that Matt Cochran, Matt and I have probably chat about this for what eight years now, Matt. And to be completely fair. Uh, Back then, I, I thought that was going to happen. I thought this was going to look more like standard oil, right? Where government or some regulator comes in and chops up Facebook into pieces and says, you got to sell that or, you know, you're getting too powerful with this. But then you look at it that, like Matt showed on his graph, uh, less than 50% of revenue is coming from the United States. Regulations, of course, are not global. They're country by country. So you'd have to have multiple regulators kind of all on the same page of exactly what they want to do with Facebook. And secondly, is like, do, do governments really want to do that? You know, Is there a real consumer benefit from breaking up Facebook? Yes, we have some consumer privacy concerns. Data privacy is a hot topic out there, but is this really damaging the public having targeted advertising like this? I, I don't think so. I think that more, more likely is we're going to keep seeing these nudges. There might be some fines there of a couple million dollars, a couple hundred million dollars, which to Facebook is chump change at this point. Uh, but again, there's very high barriers for anybody else that has to play by those same changing regulatory rules. And Facebook is the most consolidated player globally. I think that they do just fine no matter what the regulators decide.
0: Matt, I'd love your opinion here. I'll weigh in quickly. I I worry in overall in the technology space about dumb regulation. Uh, We saw a little bit of that in the radio space with the FCC having very unclear broadcast rules that made it very difficult uh, to program. I think you could see that, but that'll affect technology very broadly. I also worry a little bit about, uh, you know, Privacy rules and Facebook having to open up, but I don't think it's going to be material to their business. Matt, I want you to weigh in on this one. It's so important for the future of this company. Dumb regulation, Dan, from politicians to <laughs> bureaucrats.
2: Come on. Hey, hey I, I think that about? can happen
0: on any what? side of the aisle where what? we just get this like.
2: Oh yeah, so it's know, definitely it's definitely bipartisan, which is maybe the biggest danger for not just Facebook, but any of the big tech companies that they're you know they're they're a, they're a, they're a favorite of the you know the bipartisan. Like punching bags, you know. Now, look. That being said, I expect a lot of heavy fines coming up that like are like headline grabbing numbers. I think that Amazon got sued by the EU today or fined by the EU today uh, in Europe, and I think that's going to be par for the course for these companies going forward. Now, look. That being said, do I think regulators are going to come in and break up the company? No, I, I don't. But like, could something like that happen? I suppose. I, I suppose you know, and like, could you know, and would I consider that dumb regulation? Yeah, yeah, I would. I don't think that helps the overall problem like that we're seeing with social media and 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 really big concerns that are like way above my pay rate. But over free speech and social media and hate speech and and like uh, you know misinformation and all those kinds of really big questions facing society, I don't think splitting up the companies helps. I actually think like for those kinds of big problems, like bigger companies are like mo- better equipped to to fight those problems like they're going to have more uh they can throw more money into ai and and those kind of features which is what you need you can't have like you can't hire like an army of a million people going through the billions and billions of videos posted online and post posted and and you know everything that people are saying this is going to be an ai challenge i think bigger companies are better handled to to fight that now do regulators see it the same way who knows who knows and i like i said i expect really big fines and these you know these big companies they are not blameless by any means you know they they a lot of times they're just shooting themselves in the foot with the things they say and the actions they do but look that being said like I think they're I think they're generally trying to fight these problems and uh I think we're getting better at it.
0: Yeah, and I think it's worth noting that Microsoft has essentially accepted fines as part of doing business. Uh, they've perpetually been dealing with the EU about you know, embedding their own apps. And if you have to write a $100 million check every now and then, that's more or less like if I make the decision of I'm going to park illegally and get a $15 ticket, uh, like we have two hour parking, and if you go over, you get a fifteen dollars ticket. Sometimes that's more convenient than the garage, and that appears to be what Facebook is doing. One of the big concerns here, Matt, is slowing growth, but you don't actually see it that way, right?
2: Well, look, let's just insane uh, we have a chart for this, but like the daily active people on like Facebook's uh, the family daily active people. So this isn't just on Facebook, but this is Facebook instagram whatsapp and messenger it now totals 2.76 billion people across those platforms so this is obviously like huge of course, you're going to see slowing user growth. I mean, we're reaching like the, uh, you know, the pinnacle of the world's population here, you know, like almost, especially if you take away China and, and a couple other countries, like, you know, you're, of course, we're going to see slowing user growth, but that's not where growth for Facebook is going to be coming from. Instead, like they're building on top of these platforms, like other services, things like e-commerce, things like video and etc. Now, we've talked a lot about e-commerce in the past. So let's just talk about video for a second. Video now accounts for almost, half of all time spent on Facebook and Reels, Instagram Reels, which is kind of like their quote unquote TikTok competitor. It's already the largest contributor to engagement growth on Instagram and like Facebook said, they just want to continue to make it easier to make videos for Reels and then distribute um, those videos across its suite of apps. And they've really just begun to make ads available globally on Reels. So this is still a very potentially very long runway left. Um, Two billion users watch uh, in stream ad eligible videos a month, and that's via Reels, that's via Facebook Watch, that's via the news feeds. So Facebook knows like video. And again, we've talked about e-commerce in the past, but like they know these kinds of things that they're adding on top of their platforms. Now that they have people there can drive further revenue growth. Like they, and they know like video comes from creators. They want the best creators. So they're making all their, they're making all of their creator tools free through 2023. So for two more years, um, two and a half more years, All the creator tools that they have are going to be free. Now, after that, you're going to have a lot of creators on this platform and they might start charging for them. And the creators aren't going to want to leave their audience. So they're probably going to very gladly pay those fees. So that's another future monetization route. Uh, They want to incentivize creators creators on these platforms, of course. And so they're giving $1 billion across Facebook and Instagram to creators to, to pay them out. They said they wanted to be like one of the best places for creators to make money on the internet. And Facebook certainly has the firepower to do so. And if you get the best creators, you're going to draw big audiences. And like one really cool specific example they talked about was uh, Reed Drummond. She's the pioneer cooking She's a host on a pioneer cooking show. I, I think I'm getting that name wrong, but something about pioneer and cooking. Yeah, she, she,
0: she's the she's the pioneer chef. She's on at like 10 a.m. on the food network or cooking right. channel. Right. And she makes like very folksy
2: dishes. So Walmart hosted a show for her on, on Facebook or on Instagram. And uh, and like what they did. So, like, and she was selling things at Walmart that she says she uses, you know, like a typical, you know, almost like a uh the uh, home, home QVC, like, you know, like something almost like something like that, except now because of like you talk about Facebook's tools they have. So everybody who watched the show and whether you made a purchase or not, like then Walmart was able to target those people uh, to to like follow up for more, uh, you know, for more commerce and and for things like that. So there's a lot of interesting synergies, like big advertisers, small advertisers are going to see like using a platform like Facebook, where in the past, if you're QVC or things like that, which have huge audiences, uh, like, you know, you're watching like your your show and somebody demonstrating how to cook or something with this certain pot, but there's no follow up. QVC can't call the people in their homes who are watching that show. But Walmart can follow up with the people watching their show who, want to watch reed drummond and oh and reed drummond says she uses this pan or this crock pot or or this spoon to mix the soup i have no idea what she does but like (laughs) (laughs) but but uh but you know because of those tools facebook has so i mean there's a lot of the future growth for facebook and instagram and all these other platforms it's not going to be from user growth it's come from adding like on top of its platform all these other things besides just watching ads
0: it's something Facebook can do organically. Amazon, which we're going to talk about uh, in a little bit, has tried to do this. They've had some live video shows where you could buy the products as they go. Facebook could do that in kind of a much more organic way. Not that Amazon couldn't get there, uh, but it does feel a little bit more natural. I can't tell you how many dumb purchases I've made because it was featured on Facebook or how many types of coffee or, or energy drinks or whatever it might be because it was just very organically in my feed and it felt natural. Uh, That's something Facebook does really, really well. I wanted to take a comment uh, along the lines of growth uh, from a first-time commenter. Uh, Deanne Soto says, user growth, uh, it's it's that one, Sam, Uh, and then we'll get to all your other comments. Uh, User growth isn't going to grow for mature companies. Yeah, that's important to point out. I actually Googled how many people are there on the planet uh, when I saw, and Facebook has a stunning percentage. It's like 40% of the total population. Uh, So they're not gonna add that many more people unless they could expand to other planets. And that doesn't seem likely. Uh, So when is it about earnings? When is it about user growth? I think that's a fair comment. I think it's about earnings and maximizing. And Matt, you didn't even mention WhatsApp. Uh, They're still basically not monetizing WhatsApp, right?
2: Yeah, they're they're barely monetizing WhatsApp or uh, Messenger and i think people are expecting them to directly monetize these huge assets and i think it's going to be more of an indirect monetization of these assets because what facebook is doing now is connecting all these consumers that are on their platform again 2.76 billion people across the world are on one of these four platforms every single day uh what they're doing is like having those 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 Consumers that it has on its platform, and reach out to the companies on its platform, which again is in the hundreds of millions of companies are on these platforms, and they're trying to make that an organic way for customers to reach their the the, the shops or or the the places where they're ordering from. So if you have a question about something, you can just. Get on WhatsApp, get on Messenger and ask them the question. If you need to return something, they want to make this like a very natural, organic way for customers to reach out to the businesses that they're buying from and for way for businesses to communicate with their customers. So now you, you know, if you're a business and you have a database of like, you know, X amount of people that have reached out to you in the past or follow you on Facebook, I want to send them a direct message saying like, um, uh, we're having a sale this week or, you know, Seven Investing is having a sale this week if we wanted to do something like that. And you can message them on the app that they use, you know? So I think like you're going to see things like direct monetization of these apps, but I think it's going to be more the indirect app and to more of to make it this holistic hole that Zuckerberg envisions for e-commerce you know this social commerce vision where you know like you see something on Facebook or Instagram that you like or you watch the show on Facebook with Reed Drummond and you like that and Walmart reaches out to you via WhatsApp because you're also on WhatsApp and as a way to like hey we saw you saw the show and look by the way we're having these things on sale from that show that were featured and, and things like that
0: there are all sorts of ways to make money and I want to close out with talking about something Mark Zuckerberg said, because it's never something he's ever commented about, but he brought up the metaverse. And I, of course, immediately went to Marvel in the multiverse, but this is not that. This is not a Dr. Strange does not work at Facebook now. This is basically the idea that they're going to use digital technology to create, let's call them real world meetups. And we've heard about this for a long time. The idea that you're gonna put on your, your headset and then we're gonna have a virtual team meeting and it's all gonna feel like reality. Simon, I've been very skeptical of this for a long time. I feel like where I have an Oculus and I, I'm not sitting through an hour long meeting with our team, no matter how much I like our team, with an Oculus on because you'll have to send me to the chiropractor after. I feel like this needs to get down to basically like sunglasses level technology, Tony Stark sunglasses level technology before this is a thing. Zuckerberg seemed very excited. I don't feel like we're close to this. I'm pretty sure you disagree though.
1: I agree with you, actually. I don't think we're close to this. I think that this is kind of, okay, well, first of all, the Oculus, they just recalled 4 million Oculuses, right? Because there was skin irritation and there were eye strain. And so you are not alone, Dan, that this is not ready for prime time yet. And they're still expensive, right? $400, you need to get to a price point of $200 or less if you want this to be mass market affordable. But like, let's look at at Facebook as a whole, right? Like the culture of decision-making at Facebook, this is exactly what's gone on for, for years now, right? You've got Mark Zuckerberg, who has always kept control of the business because he always wanted to, because he said, hey, I have a vision for the future and I want Facebook to be the vehicle that gets me there. Right. And so Zuckerberg is, is holding the purse strings on these giant acquisitions. Matt talked about WhatsApp. What, $20 billion acquisition for WhatsApp still hasn't truly been monetized yet. They've tried to bring in people like David Marcos from PayPal. To, to make the, the numbers work, to make the products work, still haven't gotten there with that. Oculus, $2 billion acquisition for VR. We're still not there. I mean, we saw, what was it from the numbers? They thought that uh, the, the street was expecting $686 million from that other segment, which included VR and Oculus. They only had $497 million. They missed, they whiffed by 30%. It's still getting pushed out a couple of years every time we look at these. But again, it's part of Mark Zuckerberg's long term plan of saying, hey, I want to connect the world. I've got these big visions. He's brought in some smart people around him, Dan. But I think that the bottom line for Facebook is don't um, bet the farm on them commercializing WhatsApp or VR or metaverse anytime soon, because they're going to make it really good and we're going to get there eventually. But if you're counting on that in the next couple of quarters, I think we're going to be continually disappointed.
0: No, we're absolutely talking years. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to move on from Facebook here. We're going to talk Amazon in a few minutes. I want to take a couple of comments that are sort of in the Facebook universe, and then we'll close out the show uh, by answering the Disney Black Widow lawsuit question, talking about the Robin Hood IPO. We'll, we'll get to as many of your questions and your comments as we can. Uh, but I wanted to get to, uh, and, and this is just luck of the draw, that it's going to be Dean Soto again, because a lot of people have asked us about Pinterest on social media and other places. Uh and do either of you have any thoughts on Pinterest? I'm negative on this company. I think it's kind of a niche player. I don't see the growth. Sorry to put you on the spot here. Matt, Simon, anything you want to say about Pinterest
2: earnings? Well, what I would say, like going back to Dean Soto's uh, comment earlier was like, when is it about user growth? When is it about like revenue growth and earnings growth on top of that user growth? And like, look, when you reach a really high user base like Facebook has, you're, you're kind of saturated user growth there. Now, when you're at a, talking about a smaller platform like Pinterest or or uh, these, you know, Snapchat or things like that, you definitely want to see user growth there because like they still hopefully have not tapped out their like total addressable market. So like I would just say like the smaller the platform, the more you want to look at user growth and increased engagement. And when the larger platforms like a Facebook, when you have like 2.76 billion people on your apps, like then it's about like what can you build on these platforms now? I think it's a good point. Matt, I know
0: you wanted to talk about the metaverse. I saw that comment a little bit late. So we'll use J.E.'s comment. Sam, it's the last one in the doc uh, as a way to bring that back up and let you talk about it. Uh, And he says, I've bought shares in Virtue X. Uh, The VR future is coming. I don't know that company, uh, even if it takes another decade. I think another decade is probably the way to go. This isn't 3D TV. This isn't creating something that no one wants. I think when it literally is a pair of glasses and I wear glasses sometimes, um, even when it's a pair of glasses, I think it'd be pretty cool to like the seven investing team watches the Super Bowl together if it feels natural and it's not glitchy. But I think we're very far from that. I've done some like watch along parties and it's not that useful. It's not that fun. Matt, your thoughts
2: here. And if, if you know anything about VirtueX, feel free to talk about it. Why don't, Simon, do you know about Virtuix, I think? Like, why don't you take that and then I can comment? Yeah,
1: I, I might take this one, Dan, just because uh, Virtuix founder is a really good friend of mine, actually. And so I, I followed this story for for years. Um, they are bringing VR to the home, right? So the, the idea was first start in commercial arcades where you put on a headset, it's an Oculus, and you actually have a, 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 uh, a zero friction platform that you can move around 360 degrees. And it was really neat. And I've tried it uh years ago and it's gotten better every single year and so the idea is can you bring virtual reality to the home where rather than just punching buttons on the couch you're actually getting a workout for your kids to do things like this and they're seeing quite a bit of success Uh, asia pacific region is actually really into this we shouldn't remember that oculus and facebook like matt was saying is not just a a us story uh this is a global story and i think virtual reality is going to follow suit too we've got the latency that it can Um, make this realistic at this point. And I'm really kind of excited to
0: see where this goes. Simon, I'll put in the request. I'd love to do an interview on a future edition of the Seven Investing Podcast. I've been a fan of virtual reality, and I bought every device back to the Nintendo Virtual Boy, which gave you headaches if you wore it for more than seven minutes. I want this to be a thing. It's just not there yet. Again, I mentioned I have an an Oculus. i have the older one, not the one that was recalled. And it's a cool gimmick. Like it's fun to watch, like five minutes of an NBA game. It's fun to play, like the game where you're on a hang glider and it feels realistic. But it is not practical. I tried using it to watch a movie on a plane, and I gave up within about eight minutes. Also, it looks ridiculous, and everyone looks at you. We're gonna to get to your questions and your comments later in the show. We're gonna talk Amazon in a second, but before we do that, Simon, this may surprise you, but it's July 30. That that time doesn't matter here in Florida anyway. It can be very difficult to know what time of year it is because it's always hot. Uh, but that being said, it is almost August 1st. Why don't you tell the 7 Investing Now audience, some of whom are subscribers, some of whom are not, what happens on August 1st? Besides uh, that, of course, you're letting Matt go. No, no, that is just <laughs> a joke. That is a Max Chatsco channel joke. Uh, what is happening on August 1st. Here. Let's see. Okay, August 1st is Sunday, right? Dan, do I have my days correct of the week here? It is. And I feel bad for Max and Steve, who have to do a lot of the work here. <laughs> That's right. So okay, Sunday
1: morning, you know, we are always on the first of every month. We release our new seven recommendations, our top stocks for the upcoming month. And August will fall on Sunday morning. Uh, so right after church, go open up seveninvesting.com and see our best ideas in the stock market right now. Uh, Dan, we have got some that are very off the radar this month. I, I would go so far as to say that. Most people will not hear of at least one, possibly two or three of the companies that we're recommending. We've got some small caps in there this month.
0: So I will say uh, that I'm buying, and and I won't buy, by the way, just so you know, Seven Investing viewers, until you've had a chance to buy. So we, we of course, have to do some prep work so we know what our our colleagues are picking, but we don't actually make purchases if we didn't already own shares until after you get a chance. Uh, I'm going to buy two. I might buy as many as four of the stocks we have being pitched here. I am knocked out every month by the depth and breadth of what we're picking, of the research that goes into it, and sometimes just the, the long-term vision. It's really easy to see a company that's going to win in the short term. It is not easy. I mean, last night was the NBA draft to, to, you know, to, to continue the basketball analogies. And if you're projecting out which team's going to be good in five years and you get that right, that's really hard. That's what we're doing in the stock market, and we're getting it right way more often than not. And if you're a member we can prove that because you get access to our recommendations table. You can see every recommendation, past, present, and of course, future if you stay a member, uh, and that will show you how we're doing. And Some of them you could see, wow, hey, we're telling you this is going to take five years to play out, and, and it's it, it's taking five years to play out. And You're going to see others where, oh my God, this is what Matt said would happen. This is what Simon said would happen, and wow, it happened way faster than we thought. If you would like to be a member, that is slash subscribe. It will cost you $49 a month or $399 a year. The best deal in the business is paying that $399 a year. Simon, we didn't make the math easy. You get roughly two and a half months free. It's not just two months. It's a little <laughs> bit more than that. I'm not great at math, as I'm sure all of my high school math teachers would tell you. Uh, but it is a great deal. And just you get member-only calls. Those are raucous. They are a good time. You can ask us any question about recommendations. We will give you our honest opinions. Uh, That's not something. We don't talk about recommendations here on 7investing now. You get access to company updates. So some of the high move, fast-moving biotech companies Max is picking. You might get three updates in a month. Some of the long-range companies I'm picking, you might get milestone updates when something big happens. All sorts of stuff. We're not going to belabor this, but 7investing.com slash subscribe. We're going to switch to talk about
1: just a couple things on that too, Dan. Like you said, you know, we put a lot of time into this and you've got a team of seven lead advisors here at Seven Investing. And when you put together all the hours, you know, we're we're talking math just a second ago. When you put in all the hours that we're putting into finding these recommendations, uh, it's more than a thousand hours a month conservatively. And for $50 a month, by my math, that's less than a nickel an hour you're hiring our team to find you the best opportunities in the stock market, which will pay for your subscription very, very quickly. That's why I agree with you. This is probably one of the best ROI deals on the internet right now.
0: Yeah, and I can't tell you how often, and this is gonna sound incredibly nerdy. It's like 11:30 at night. I have like Diners, Drive-ins, and Dives on, or like The Simpsons on in the background, and I'm reading like an earnings call from a company I might be into. And all of a sudden, like Steve throws up like a graph on on Slack, or or a Nirbon who's obviously in a different time zone, being in Australia, throws up like, oh my God, there's this launch. Like we actually live this stuff. This isn't our job. This is actually like what we like to do, uh, and we're all like we all have a good time supporting each other. In doing it. I want to move on to Amazon earnings. I want to keep this uh, to about 17 minutes because I want to leave a little time at the end. Uh, to take some of the great questions and comments we have. I want to talk specifically about Robinhood and specifically about the Disney Black Widow lawsuit. I think those are two big topics. And I want to remind everybody that we were going to talk about AMD and Intel. We're going to push that to Monday's show. Simon is graciously going to join us on Monday. uh, So we will do that then. Mondays are usually slower with the news anyway. So always great to have a a topic like that. But Matt, I want to read to you something. So this was the CNBC uh, headline on Amazon earnings. Amazon posts third 100 billion dollar quarter in a row but still misses expectations. Matt, are analyst expectations even a semi-reasonable filter to pres- to put results through?
2: <laughs> uh probably not Dan. Like what's that old adage uh do companies miss expectations or do expectations miss the, you know, the company's performance? You know, look, while talking heads they're always going to worry about things like stock prices and expectations, the best thing to focus on is business for performance. And that's true for for any company, but especially true for companies like when you're talking about Amazon, that they, they just seemingly turn on and off heavy investments in their infrastructure like with a switch.
0: Yeah, this is one where uh, I'm helping Amazon's
2: bottom line because they've made
0: it easier and easier to get items. But Matt, why don't you give the top line uh, and then we'll get into sort of the nitty gritty of this and bring Simon back into it.
2: Well, uh, Amazon's revenue grew by 27 percent uh, year over year. That's now it's up to 113 billion dollars. 113 billion dollars in quarterly revenue. You know, so the, like, uh, look, <laughs> so that growth is a, is it is a slowdown uh, from the second quarter of 2020 when sales were up 41 percent year over year. But we'll get to that in a second. AWS, Amazon Web Services, grew its revenue 37 uh, percent. Uh, in the second quarter, so that's its cloud revenue, and that's that really high margin revenue we want to see. So, like, look, the, the, you know, those are the really big numbers. Net income doubled. So, I mean, I, you see a lot of these things. Like, uh, Amazon's Amazon's doing just fine.
0: Yeah. So the big miss, just to put this into context, is a couple of billion dollars out of over a hundred billion dollars, and only, and I put only in quotes there because it's a ridiculous word. Twenty seven percent growth. Simon, I know you wanted to weigh on this. Why don't you jump in here?
1: I mean, yeah, the one that I want to double click on, you know, that, that Matt pointed out from the financials is the Amazon Web Services growth is accelerating, right? 37% year over year, which is actually higher than the 32% year over year. Just to put some more context into that too, that was $15 billion this quarter, $4 billion, Matt, of operating income. I mean, you're seeing a 28% operating margin uh, from a business that that Amazon is is glad to keep transitioning people to the cloud. I mean, this is the the big dog in the room and uh, they just keep getting bigger. It's pretty impressive.
0: Yeah. And there's only a few players in the cloud and it's not like you're going to see uh, cloud disruptors. There's just simply too much size and scale with the big people. Now you might see some niche things. You might see a company that like, yep, yeah, we provide a cloud for uh, you know the the uh, yoga industry and, and they take a tiny bit, but that's not going to be the thing. Matt, you wanted to comment on AWS revenue uh, and you pointed out that AWS and advertising, which is growing, these are really high margin numbers and you even have a graphic for it.
2: Well, yeah, well, this is straight from Amazon's press release on their quarter. So if you just go down this graphic, you look on the right-hand side where it's highlighted, like, uh, look, their online stores and their physical stores growth, that's where you saw the slowing growth. And again, we're gonna get to that in a second, but like their higher margin uh, segments are the ones where you see a lot of growth. So advertising that's listed under other uh, that grew 83% year over year. Now it's almost $8 billion a quarter uh, coming in from advertising. That's really high margin. And that's from like a- advertisements on their website, but it's also for, like advertisements from Twitch and things like that. And Sam, if we can just throw that back on real quick again but like also aws revenue 37 that's now 15 billion dollars a quarter third-party seller services that's up 34 subscription services so that's like obviously the main thing there is amazon prime and by the way they added 50 million prime members in the last two years uh that that's up 28 so the higher margin stuff from amazon their higher margin segments are the ones that's really contributing to the growth now and that's why you're seeing their seeing their net income explode and saying, if we can throw that up there. Like, so you're you're seeing like uh, Amazon's top line growth is is slowing down a bit. And we're going to get to that in a second again, but like their bottom line, it's exploding. And it's because all these higher margin segments like AWS, like advertising, like prime subscriptions, they're just like, they're growing, they're they're growing just fine, just fine. And much faster than the lower growth or the lower margin segments, such as like e-commerce and things like that.
0: And AWS is also self-perpetuating. So so I'll try to be as simple as I can here. But as the internet gets more complicated and as websites that are using AWS decide to do more things, they use more bandwidth. And Amazon can actually lower prices but make more money. And that's not unique to Amazon. That's across all the major cloud providers. The The cost of being online has fallen dramatically. So as you decide, okay, I'm going to add... a. Uh, real-time ability to calculate sales tax on, on my website. And whether it's Amazon doing that or Shopify doing that, that's taking processing power and that's using more cloud and that's going to grow AWS revenue without them even adding clients and of course, they're going to add clients because eventually we still don't have most business being done on the web. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before only about 13% of retail business being done on the web. That number is going to grow as it grows. The need for AWS is going to grow. Simon, feel free to weigh in if you have anything you want to say here. I see some nodding, but I'm not sure if it's just agreement or you'd like to talk. So I'll give you an opening here.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, like you say, I agree with everything you said, Dan, that the that the cloud is, is redefined how businesses are doing are. are setting up shop online, right? Like nobody wants to go out there and build their own data center and spend hundreds of millions of dollars doing it. They're just like, okay, Amazon, you take care of this. And Amazon spends billions of dollars, which is pennies to them with as deep of pockets as they have to do this. Um, I always like to invert, right? Charlie Munger, one of the best investors ever, always says, what's the other side of the coin that you're not considering here? And so I'm very bullish about Amazon's future very clearly. But uh, the, other, the other side of this is a lot of those developers, a lot of those, you know, companies that are setting up shop and building things in the cloud, especially off of open source software platforms, um, there's been a little bit of pushback with Amazon taking their code, right? Open source means that the source code is out there for anybody to build upon. And a lot of the criticisms of Amazon have been, Amazon is building their own proprietary products that are competing with my open source platform that I built. We saw MongoDB complain about this uh, when Amazon built its document database. That's an alternative to what Oracle's done for four decades. We also saw Confluent just come uh, public in an IPO just a couple of months ago, and they, they did the same criticisms of Amazon and AWS as well. So I, I agree with everything that's said here. I just think that as an investor, the long-term thing that I'm keeping an eye on is there's other competitors that have cloud-based platforms as well. There are other options that are out there. It's not only AWS, as everybody's moving to the cloud now. And we're seeing a lot of companies saying, okay, it's time for us to shift. We're, we're bringing our workflows and you know data and AI to the cloud. AWS was the very front runner. I want to make sure that they focus on customers and serving needs of customers. And we don't have these criticisms continue because otherwise you got everybody else that's wanting to set up shop and have their own infrastructure for the cloud as well.
0: Sam, can we launch our uh, Rocky style trading montage where the CEO of IBM just heard that? And they're like, we can get back in this. Like, like, no, there are multiple players. That's been a criticism of Amazon. That actually kept Amazon out of, let's call it the point of sale business, that retailers didn't want Amazon processing their transactions and then saying, hey, I know what you paid for this in this market. I'm gonna put it in my warehouse. I actually think we've passed a point of no return. Doesn't mean Amazon's not going to lose business. There are going to be people who decide to leave uh, for that reason. But I do think the vast majority aren't going to. It's why I, I mentioned, I think there will be really significant niche players that do very specific things on the cloud that grow. But I don't think you could just be like, you know, give Simon and I a billion dollars and we launch like, you know, cloudamajiggy, I don't think that would work simply because Amazon could price us out of existence. And, and they've basically been able to do that. You know, you've got your Amazon, you've got your Microsoft, you've got a couple of other big players. And it almost, it becomes almost impossible to compete with that really no matter what your scale is. So, you know, it is a good business to be in. Matt, let's shift this back as we start to close up on Amazon here to guidance. Uh, they issued what I would call cautionary guidance but that's largely been what they've doing the entire pandemic. We, we don't know what the world looks like. We have the Delta variant going on. We have, we have new mask mandates. We're not talking about any of the politics of that. But obviously, there is an uncertainty in the world right now regarding consumption and travel and all of these things. How does the Amazon guidance fit into that?
2: Yeah. So the thing that really, I think, spooked investors and why Amazon's down today is that, like, it's a, it, it said expected sales for the third quarter to be between 106 billion and 112 billion, uh, which would only, quote unquote, only represent growth of 10 to 16%. Now, that's obviously a clear deceleration of uh, its growth rates. But I thought it did a really good job of walking this through in its conference call, their CFO. Like he said, look, And Dan, we have talked about this a number of times with retail uh, stores. Like you're either going to see really high growth rates this quarter because they were down so low last year, or you're going to see really low growth rates uh, this year because they were up so much last year, depending on where you are on that e-commerce physical retail spectrum. And well, uh, Amazon's obviously an e-commerce company and they had really high growth rates last year because people were home and a lot of things like they would just turn to Amazon to buy everything. They get on their phones, get on their computers while they're stuck at home during the depths of the pandemic. Uh, when, when everything was shut down and they were buying things off of Amazon. And so they said, Look, their CFO just said, look, look at things on a two-year growth rate. And, and on a two-year growth rate, their sales are still about 25 to 30 percent uh at a compound annual growth rate. And, and that's what you want to see. That's actually higher than it was pre-pandemic when it was like 20, 21% growth rates you were seeing from their e-commerce business. So on a on a two-year basis, everything's fine. It's 25 to 30 percent compound annual growth rate. That's that's fantastic for a company of this size. But of course, the uh the tough comparables have, have spooked a lot of investors. But look, if you're a long-term investor, look at their long-term growth rates. It's a little lumpy because of COVID last year, but they added prime members. Again, they added 50 million prime members in the last two years. They added um and by the way, I mean Prime members—they not only send in those subscription fees, but they spend more on the platform, you know. So, so that's good. They um they've expanded their capacities by a lot. They said their unit volume coming out of their distribution centers have doubled in the last two years. Amazon uh, logistics, AMZL, like uh, their delivery arm for their fulfillment centers, that capacity has doubled since the start of the pandemic. So they're adding capacity. They're adding growth. They're investing heavily now to like to meet future demand and need. And on a two-year basis, just, just expand your window. It's a little bit lumpy from COVID, but on a two-year basis, their growth rates are, are higher than they were pre-pandemic. And I've got one more
0: question, but before I do that, Simon has a question for Matt. We talked about this offline. I'm curious to get this information out into the public. Simon, take it away. And
1: and and for you too, Dan. I Dan, I know you cover retail more than any of us do, and so you know it's interesting to see that Amazon has now got what was it, Matt? You showed more than 80 percent revenue growth in that other line item um, for the quarter, and a lot of that was what they're calling advertising on the platform. Uh, can you talk? A, can either of you talk a little bit about what that is and, and what this will mean for Amazon?
0: Yeah. So you likened it to, to paying to be an end cap or, or, or for a sh- uh, placement in a store. It's a lot like that. So if I'm selling a not unique product on Amazon, I need to come up first. I need to come up. So let's say I'm selling a phone charger. You know, I, I like to buy phone chargers. I have like 40 of them. Uh, and, and if I'm looking for one, well, the ones that come up on the first page are likely to be the ones I buy, even if it's a paid ad, which does say paid ad. And you'll often coincidentally see the paid one as like second or third below it. And I'm going to say those two things are related. So this is like forced advertising. This isn't like organic, like, hey, let's uh, sponsor a little league team and it might be beneficial for, for our business. This is sort of like if you want to sell on this platform, not everything. If you have something truly unique, maybe you don't need to do it. Uh, but if you want to have your fairly generic item stand out, then you have to advertise. So it's going to be a growth area. And this is just like, look, it's a price of doing business thing. Like when, when my first book came out, uh, Penguin, the publishing house paid for it to be on tables in Barnes and Noble, and it sold well while it was paying for those. When it stopped paying for those, it goes back in the bookshelves. It doesn't sell. This is what's happening here. Matt, I'd love your thoughts on this as well.
2: Yeah. So, well, Two things. So really, really quick. It it is mostly what Dan's saying. It's also ads on Twitch. I don't think we should forget about that, but going back to what Dan's saying, the majority of it is on his website. So like, Think of now. You go into a grocery store, and like you know, Procter and Gamble will pay for their product to be there, like right at eye level, right, convenient to grab and reach. And like on the bottom shelf might be a generic brand or a brand you haven't heard of too much. But now, but now with Amazon, imagine a a, a grocery store that's infinite in size, infinite in size, right? Because they're not constrained by these physical limits of every other store location ever. So now you have a a, a grocery store that's infinite in size. And if you want to be seen, the reality is, reality is you're going to almost have to pay for advertising and they have really turned this on in the last year. I mean, it's up 83% year over year, like you said, and that's really, really high margin revenue too.
0: It's important that you point out Twitch because if like Pinterest owned Twitch, it would be like this major part of their earnings call. And it's literally like an afterthought. Like I don't think we realize and given our ages, how big Twitch is and sort of how much let's call it faux television programming has moved to that world. I can't imagine watching someone play a video game but that's not all Twitch is. It has all sorts of programming. There's legitimate shows that, that are also airing on Twitch as part of their distribution deal. As we see, let's call it the shrinking of the traditional cable channel universe, you're going to see things that used to have like low end rights deals on cable using Twitch as part of their, uh, their broadcasting strategy. Frankly, we should probably be on Twitch. So that, that is actually something we could think about here. With that, I want to ask, go ahead, Matt. And
2: they're also investing heavily in the advertising space. Like on the conference call, uh, they said, you know, um, they've launched 40 new features this quarter and self-service capabilities to make it easier for sellers and, you know, authors of books and and other companies to advertise on their website. I mean, it's not, it's not something they're, they're taking for granted. They're, they're innovating heavily in this space. And I think you're going to continue. I mean, knowing Amazon, you're going to continue to see that innovation too.
0: If you would like to buy a uh, Simon Erickson uh, television show Warren Seven Investing shirt, go to our shop. But no, we don't have that. We don't do that. Uh, you know, There might be swag someday, but probably not for, for that type of profit. We are teasing a little bit. But you can buy almost anything. I will point out, when we talk Amazon growth just remember a year ago, you were on Amazon for hours a day trying to find toilet paper and hand sanitizer. That is not happening now. You can buy those items in your regular day. Now, I still buy some of those items from Amazon, but not all of those items from Amazon. So that's important. But I want to close out with one question because I want to leave a little bit of time to get to some of your questions on on other things. And there are a lot of them. Matt and Simon, if there's ones you want to answer, uh, flag it in the private chat. And I'll throw it to you first, Matt. Is Amazon just too big to judge by normal metrics? I'm not sure that any of these numbers really matter based on how much this company can turn on and off its profit spigot based on, you know, these long range goals. Like, you know, if they decide we want to blanket the country with drone delivery, they probably could do that, even though it's, it's not likely to happen. Your thoughts here, Matt?
2: You can almost say the same thing about any of these big tech companies, Dan, I think like, I mean, so we're talking about Twitch. I mean, you don't even notice that in Amazon. I mean, you really don't. It's very insignificant. Yet if, if another company owned it, it would be this huge, huge deal, like how fast it's growing. When we talked about Facebook, like, you know, they said on their conference call, like, you know, think of these e-commerce things that we want to build out, like they're not going to move the needle for, for another couple of years yet, even though it's growing really, really fast on the platform, but just because they make so much money from from advertising and, and things like that. And I think you can go you can go through the list like, you know, I mean, earlier this week, Microsoft called out LinkedIn and that's like a 10 billion annual revenue run right okay. now. And you never talk about LinkedIn when you talk about Microsoft. And so yeah, you have all these big tech companies. And I think you almost have to like they're breaking all the rules. Like, how can a company Uh, this big, you know, the law of large sizes or whatever, like that was a big deal, like five, six, seven years ago when talking about these big tech companies and they have exceeded all expectations, uh, because they're just throwing out the rules when it comes to large sizes.
0: Simon, I'll give you the last word on this. Then we're going to move to your questions and comments to close out the show.
1: Yeah, I don't think they're too big yet either, Dan. I mean, still in even developed economies, retail is less than the percentage of retail that's being done online is less than 20% of the total, right? We've still got plenty of adoption from people that like to go to the grocery stores, like to go out to department stores. I mean, there are still people that like to do that, but if technology can make that super easy and people can figure out how to have it delivered to their door and save a lot of time, I think there's still plenty of growth for
0: these guys. And I'll make a prediction 10 years from now, there will be five to 10,000 Amazon physical grocery and convenience stores. I think they're, they're moving in that direction. It's happening pretty quickly when you look at the leases they're signing. Um, it becomes a very strong margin business. How do you play this as an investor? All I'll say is don't buy shares of Kroger. I think if you're a, a traditional grocery chain, you are in the crosshairs of a company that can use those locations to basically break even on grocery and then, and then have all these distribution points to do other things. The same thing with convenience stores. Those convenience stores can be Amazon lockers, they can be drop off points, uh, they can be a million different things. So I think the physical Amazon footprint is something we don't talk about, but it's going to explode. I think distribution centers were the first priority and I have one about three miles down the street here that looks like a college campus. It's basically endless. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming they must have like segways or something or trams inside to get around. You're going to see that uh, the next step be a physical retail presence. With that, we're not even going to do the finisher. We're just going to spend the rest of the show, uh, the next eight minutes or so, getting through your questions and comments. We're going to do them as much in order as we can. So that means we might take a couple from people in a row. Uh, and we're going to be pretty quick here. Uh, and Gil- so Gilbron218 says, uh, Black Widow is suing Disney. Is this a distraction? This is, of course, Scarlett Johansson. This is the woman who plays Black Widow. It's not the character of Black Widow. And here's what's happened. Scarlett Johansson said she had significant bonuses and her contract demanded a full theatrical release. Uh, this was released in theaters and on Disney+. Plus. We don't know the full numbers, but I think it's fair to say that Black Widow underperformed due, based on expectations of what a an Avengers movie would do. Now, some of that is likely made up. There are the initial numbers they reported on Disney Plus and Disney is fired back here and they said, hey, we're, we're paying you for the Disney Plus thing. And, and basically, you've already gotten paid 20 million dollars. What that doesn't acknowledge is, did she stand to make $50 million? And I understand it's a smart play by Disney to say, hey, you made 20 million, but this is a lot like quarterback salaries where you kind of don't want it to get public. Nobody cares that Dak Prescott was holding out because he wanted 42 million instead of 38 million. That's not realistic to people, but this could be a case where Scarlett Johansson might be right. Disney from a public relations point of view probably shouldn't have let this happen. But I don't think – I think this is going to be a bellwether. You're going to see new contracts because the what movie releases look like is going to be different. Matt, 30 seconds. You got anything you want to add on this one?
2: Uh, yes, it's a distraction. That's all I got.
0: <laughs> uh, same user, Gilbrand, asks, uh, how far away should we run from the Robinhood IPO? Simon, I'll let you weigh in on this. You've talked about this a lot in our, our internal channels.
1: Far away. Go to 7investing.com. Put into our Yex search bar. Um Robinhood, if you want to follow my coverage, I'm not a fan at all of this company.
0: Yeah, I, I I will double that. I tried to get create a Robinhood account and I couldn't connect it to my bank account. I have not had that problem with any other service I've tried, and I've I've signed up for a lot of services just to try that. Like I have a Coinbase account which has like 17 layers of of authentication, and it was easy. Robinhood was not. I want to take one from Anajad Sabir and I apologize if I'm, if I'm mangling any of these names. I can't see it's a, not a great distance for me. Could Shopify benefit from Amazon woes? There are no Amazon woes. I think that that is a that Amazon saying growth is going to slow after growth has been tremendous is again like like saying like hey we made a couple of special multi-million dollar sales last year and that were very low margin and we're not going to make those again. And that's very different from Woe's. That being said, I do see good things ahead for Shopify. The Shopify earnings numbers were pretty incredible as well. And I've talked about it. There's Amazon, there's Target, there's Walmart, there's Shopify. I would say the folks at XBO Logistics would like to be in that conversation, as would the folks at FedEx and UPS. They're not there yet. And I'll give a little bit of plug. I am interviewing the CEO of the spin-off of XBO Logistics. Uh, they, they spin off early next week. I'm going to have one of the first interviews with the CEO. That's going to be on the 7 Investing Podcast. Not quite scheduled yet because uh, we, 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 we want to make sure the IPO actually happens. Matt, you want to weigh in on the Shopify question here?
2: Uh, yeah. No Amazon woes. Shopify will benefit from being uh, led by a visionary leader and from being a great company.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a few more of your questions and comments here. Uh if you'd like to take the one, Simon, from uh, our very own JT Street, you're welcome to do that. I'm not sure if that's one uh, any of us know, uh, but let's, uh, uh, let's close out here with one from J.E. Uh, thoughts on the Tesla, uh, Tesla dojo? I don't know what the Tesla dojo would be, but let's talk Tesla. We did this on Wednesday show and Irban Mahante talked Tesla earnings. Um, it's the same story we're talking about here, that there might be short-term headwinds with chips and supplies and Tesla's a weird one. You might see a really great quarter followed by a somewhat slower quarter. Haven't seen that in the last four or five quarters, but it can be a very cyclical company. And it's much like, say, an Apple where you know they announce a new iPhone. Well, that's going to pull forward a bunch of sales. And it doesn't mean that the next quarter isn't, that they're not still a successful company. It just means that they sell a big ticket item and those sales may not spread out evenly throughout the year. Simon, any thoughts on Tesla here?
1: Yeah, I mean, the dojo is reference to the supercomputer they're working on right now. Tesla has always been a software and a hardware company. Uh, They really have taken it seriously, developing their own chips and putting those into their cars so that they're very smart cars that can easily be updated. And this is kind of the next evolution of that. It's no surprise that you saw Tesla report an 11 percent operating margin. They're they're getting it done. I mean, they're, they're a step above other automakers.
0: And I'm coming around on Tesla. They're getting to scale. They are no longer at risk of, uh, of financial crises. All they have to do is sell off a little bit of stock, and they can they can get through any sort of blip in the woods. Uh, Stephen Roman says, "So fun to catch the Seven Investing team live. It's fun for us too. And it is also amazing when so many of you are commenting. I wish we could take all the comments, but we're going to take one more before we say goodbye here. Uh, Andrew H, which I think is our very own Andrew Holder." uh says my family had 538 Amazon orders in 2020 that beats me i think and 314 so far in 2021 so we're doing our part everyone else needs to step it up before the next earnings now now i'll point out and and, and i've said this before i am an avid two or three times a day sometimes there's like three things on this table in front of me i've ordered from amazon That being said, my Amazon orders will likely slow somewhat in 2021 because the pandemic is less evident. That being said, if you looked at my 2019, I'm probably dramatically higher. So the pandemic disrupted the normal growth curve. And now I think we're back to the normal growth curve, where if there's something I want, and I don't think the grocery store is going to have it, or I'm not going to the grocery store, I turn to Amazon for it. I get so many things. I got my protein coffee delivered. I I have all sorts of prescriptions, uh, not prescriptions, uh, subscriptions, uh, you know, that of just like, yep, I get this every month. And it's like weird stuff. It's like almonds and like other things. Uh, We are running out of time here, but Matt wants to close out with uh, Stephen's comment about Amazon lagging fang. Uh, Matt, we'll give you the last word there. Uh, Sam, if you want to share that comment, that would be great.
2: Yeah. So like real quick, like, uh, look, Amazon exploded because it was a quote unquote obvious COVID play, like when the pandemic first hit last year. So like people just investors just piled into it and it almost like doubled uh, like from, from its lows last year. And, and since then, look, it has been trailing the rest of FANG. But I think the important thing to throw out and saying we have a wide charge for this is like Amazon's history of drawdowns. Like it's, it's immense, right? Like Amazon always gets hammered with these huge drawdowns. If you're an investor in Amazon, this is something that you should be used to by now. And yet, and yet you're still sitting on top of fantastic gains. I really, really think the thing I want you to take away from that chart is to think about the long term and that these kinds of drawdowns, especially for stock like Amazon or for any other great company, they're normal they're normal and think about the long-term and even though if you if you can endure these bouts of volatility, you're going to still be sitting on top of great gains.
0: This was long-term. not a typical show. We scrapped two usual segments we do, but that is because of you. And I mean that in the best way possible. When we get this many questions, this many comments, I wish I could take them all. Thank you to Enrique Felix. Thank you to uh, to J.E., to, to D., who just come, chimed in with uh, Tesla AI Day, August 19th. I have a feeling our very own uh, Anirban Mahante will be watching that. Uh, watch our Twitter for comments on that. If you'd like to get in touch with us, we are easy to find. It is info at seveninvesting.com. That's for questions about your membership, questions about uh, uh, you know how to join, maybe where something is on the site. If you'd like to interact with us, and boy, do we like interacting with you, that is at 7investing. That is the number 7 investing on Twitter. And please, feel free to tag us in your questions. Feel free to, to ask us. Uh, you know, We're not necessarily going to follow every company you ask about, but if it's companies you've heard us talk about, we usually like talking about that. Again, we appreciate you. Putting up with a long show, we appreciate so many questions. We'll be back on Monday talking AMD and Intel. I'm going to take a nap between now and then uh, because my new Amazon Halo device, another Amazon thing, told me I got a 32 for my sleep score last night. That's not great. So a nap might happen at some point, but it's because I'm so excited to be doing these programs. For Simon Erickson, for Matt Cochran, for Sam Bailey behind the glass, keeping up with the graphics, we will see you Monday. Thank you.